it's easy to conjure up and to demonize people and to conjure up all of these emotions of uh, hatred and feelings of hatred towards people that are committing unspeakable acts of violence against any person, uh, much less innocent people, women and children and, and just others, to dehumanize them is really where I draw the line. They are still human beings, and to, to dehumanize them means that we also put ourselves in the position of being able to create the same unspeakable uh, reciprocal acts of violence and horror against uh, any person. Welcome to Grayson 30 on WERALP, Arlington, 96.7 FM. This is Ed Malik, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. America is divided on many fronts, racially, politically, socioeconomically. There seems to be a lot of pain and hate and anger and polarization in our country. We've heard many times on Grayson 30 about the importance of proximity, of actually getting close to people and listening to tearing down the walls that separate us. Tonight, we're joined by two very different men, a Jewish man who grew up the son of hippies and went on to work as a civil servant, and a Christian man who grew up as a military brat and went on to work in education and the food service industry. They've joined forces to provide an example of how to eliminate the barriers that separate us, starting with the age-old barrier between Jews and Gentiles. Eric Teitelman and Jed Robin will talk about the importance of intentionally bringing people of differing beliefs together and encouraging them to empathize with and love one another. Eric and Jed, welcome to Grace in 30. Thank you. Good evening. Thanks, Ed. Great to have you guys. Um, Eric, let's start with you. When we talked on the phone, you told me a story about a video that you had seen of an Arab man. He had tried to stab a handful of people and was shot and wounded by a soldier. And what happened after that really kind of resonated with you. Why don't you describe that to us? I think to understand why it resonated with me, maybe just let me just share for one brief moment that, you know, I grew up in Israel, and you know, my mother lives there, my sister lives there, and every time I turn on the news and I hear about another attack where innocent people are killed, a terrorist attack, it really breaks my heart. And, it, it you know, it's easy to conjure up and to demonize people and to conjure up all of these emotions of uh, hatred and feelings of hatred towards people that are committing unspeakable acts of violence against any person, uh, much less innocent people, women and children and, and just others. And I, I watched this video and it was uh, showing how the uh, Israeli military, the soldiers had shot and wounded a Palestinian terrorist and he was uh, on the ground. He was he was conscious. He'd been shot in the leg. He had apparently either stabbed or tried to stab some people. And, uh, you know, I know the Hebrew language, and the man was yelling at him, calling him a dog, calling him garbage and zevel, which is in Hebrew garbage. And it, my heart was broken in that moment, and I even felt compassion for him because as as wicked as the crime was or the, the, the act that he tried to commit, there wasn't the sense of compassion that we should display towards any person, even our own enemies. And I was, I was heartbroken because I could see the cycle of violence continuing because hatred just breeds more hatred. So your reaction of compassion would make a lot of people say, well, that's kind of nuts. The guy was stabbing people and 
and you're feeling compassion for him. How do, how do you react to that statement? Well, I, you know, I think that our actions deserve consequences. And so clearly, you know, when you have a person that is trying to kill other people, we have a, an obligation to defend and protect innocent people. We have an obligation to to prosecute, to put people in prison, to, to make sure that they can't do harm to other people. But I, I think to dehumanize them is really where I draw the line. They are still human beings, and to, to dehumanize them means that we also put ourselves in the position of being able to create the same unspeakable uh, reciprocal acts of violence and horror against uh, any person. Now, I realize he was probably acting out of his own anger and emotions, but again, just listening to how he just continually badgered this, this, this young man who was on the ground over and over again really displayed the kind of anger and hurt that was in his heart. And given the cycle of violence that I continue to see in Israel, I can see how that cycle will just perpetuate itself. So are you basically saying that really the answer to putting an end to this cycle is grace, which is the undeserved, unearned, unmerited forgiveness? I think, love? That, I think that grace is what we need <laughs> in a lot of grace. <laughs> so, Jed, what do you think about the Christian church today? Are we modeling grace and love and compassion and empathy or, or not? Well, that's a great question, Ed, and, and really you touched on it at the, at the top of the program that we, we live in a day that's really – uh, filled with division, strife, and discord in our country, and uh, and it's it's in it's in that way in the church too, where we do need to listen to each other more and have more grace, more compassion for uh, one another. And I, I believe in in honoring uh, each person's story, you know, that comes into following Christ. Uh, and you know, Eric and I talk often about the gospel of the kingdom. You know, if you're if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, he brings all things together under his leadership, and every tribe and tongue is brought in through that belief system into into really who he is as our uh, as the head of the church. And so, what did he teach us to do? Um, and and so, it's a challenge to listen to each other, to honor each other's differences, to embrace the diversity within the church, to love one another, and, and listen to one another, and and relate to one another as as really Jesus taught to relate to. The Heavenly Father and to relate to one another as brothers and sisters. And as you well know, family is complicated and, uh, and not always easy. So I, when I was talking to the two of you, you mentioned that people outside of the church, the, the, the Christians, the body of Christ, whatever term you use, it's sort of perceived these days that there's some hypocrisy, injustice, um, politics and all that. Are you seeing a lot of that? Are you seeing people, I mean, you mentioned specifically your son, Eric, and how he feels when he looks at the, at the church. Yeah, my son is a classic. He's actually not even technically a millennial. He's younger than that. He's Generation Z, Ooh, which is Z. 1996. He's 22. He's a, you know he's an incredible kid. He's very smart, and you know he has gone through his own course of questioning his existence in the universe, and you know he's resorted to to science. But you know he grew up in church. I mean, I, ever since he was a very very young child, infant, we took him to church. We put him in the Sunday school programs. I discipled him. Myself, I taught him scripture. I prayed with him and for him every single night. And he reached an age where he started questioning. And I think that he started to reflect back on some of the things that he saw in the church, things that didn't quite fit, you know, the equation of what he expected to see. You know, you can call it hypocrisy, whatever you want to call it. But the reality is that something inherently was missing from the church and unfortunately led him away from it. So we're supposed to provide an example, a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Here on Earth, absolutely. Correct? Yes. Correct. So, so what does that look like? What what should Christians look like? We're supposed to model the behavior of Jesus, correct? That's correct. And, and what was that behavior like? 
he made it very simple. He said, if you love each other, and in fact, he even set the, the bar pretty high. He said, no greater gift that a man would lay down his life for his brother, his friend. He said, if you love each other with that kind of selfless, sacrificial love, then people are going to look at you and they're saying, wow, the, these guys are my disciples. These guys are the true followers of Jesus because they're selfless and they're sacrificial in their living toward and willing to, uh, you know, the Bible says we're to esteem our brothers more highly than ourselves. And, and, and I don't see a lot of that today. You know, we live in a very, uh, the culture and even in, within the church, the culture is that it's about individual personal salvation. It's like what, what you know, what has God done for me, and, and you know what, you know what am I supposed to get out of it? Instead of realizing that we are a community and a family of people that God has brought together, He has purchased each one of us with His own blood, but He also did it so that we would become one family of God, and and He modeled that for us. He so we're supposed that. to be famous for love. <laughs> Absolutely. And it goes a little bit beyond that, Jed, isn't it? I mean, we're supposed to love our enemies. <laughs> Absolutely. That's uh, that's right from the good book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the challenge, you know. And, and I think about, you know, Eric being a Jewish believer and myself being a Gentile believer. And when the gospel was handed off in the very beginning, you have a story in, in Acts chapter 10, where at, to that point, everyone that was coming into faith were Jews. And the first Gentile is a guy named Cornelius, and he's a Roman centurion. And if, you, if you've read the scriptures, you know the story. He's, he's praying, and he's actually giving alms to actually bless Israel. He, lived, he was there as an occupier, would have been perceived as an enemy of the Jewish people. Peter is on, the, on his roof, having, you know, just praying, and God gives him a vision of the sheet coming down with all kinds of animals on it, and says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's struggling as a Jew because these are unclean animals that are on this sheet. And, you know, what is happening is God is preparing a Jewish apostle to go into a Gentile's home and present the truth of the gospel to Cornelius. And so there's an angel involved in telling Cornelius, you need to dispatch some men to Peter. As, as Peter comes with those men, he crosses the threshold into uh, the Gentile's home, presents the gospel to him, and the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and his entire household. And, and there you have the first Gentile convert coming in, but you have a cross-cultural engagement that God didn't have the angel tell Cornelius the gospel. He had his Jewish uh, disciple, Peter, bring the gospel across enemy lines, so to speak, and, and lovingly present the truth to a Gentile for the first time and bring them into the story and bring them into the family of God. Eric, did you want to add anything? You were well. I think yes, I did actually because it, to understand the Jewish mindset, uh, you have to realize that it, for a Jewish person to enter into the home of a Gentile was essentially uh, akin to making taking something that is holy and essentially making it unholy, or it would become essentially contaminated. You know, the, the, even the ra the rabbis today, for example, and I don't mean this in in a derogatory or demeaning way, but wine is a holy. Uh, drink because it is used in sacrifices and was used in the temple. If a Gentile touches the wine, it is now unholy and it cannot be used in sacrifice. So you have to understand that he's, from his mindset, he's been told by God, the Gentiles are unclean, you are a holy people, you can't intermingle and connect with them because you will become now unholy or contaminated. And now he's being told by God to go to and he says, and in fact, he's, he's even scolded by God. He says, do not call unclean that which I have made clean. And God is saying, I have cleansed them by my blood, and you are to go to them as your brother. 
So you guys are, are living this out yourself right now. I mean, you have a ministry, uh, Eric, uh, sort of bringing Messianic Jews and Christians uh, together. Why don't you describe some of the work you're doing, and Jed, how you guys kind of came together and started to work together. Yes. My, well, my ministry actually started as a, as a college ministry in California. I was asked uh, – and interestingly enough, I was asked to start a ministry that would reach out to Jewish students at uh, Chico State University, which is up north of Sacramento, if any of you know where the area is. And so I did that, and we called it House of David. I had a whole little bungalow house I was given to use, and I tried reaching all these Jewish students on campus. And, of course, I ended up with dozens of students from every country you can imagine, from India, Ceylon, Japan, Europe, Hungary, you name it. And not a single Jewish student comes, and I realize that I'm sp- maybe I'm not supposed to reach the Jewish students. Maybe I'm supposed to reach the nations, the Gentiles, with the message about Israel and how we're connected as one people. And then maybe God will take these young men and women and send them back to the country so they can share the good news of the kingdom, but at least understand how Israel is part of that equation. Uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting story how how Eric and I came together. You know, we're, we're we are in ministry now together, but um, I was uh, doing some preaching and teaching over a period of years, and it was actually involved in a tour at the time when I met Eric. That was in America. We had gone to twelve regions. It was called Operation Four Winds, and it was at a preaching event. And Eric uh, came up to me afterwards, um, and he just struck up a conversation with me. And little did I know, but we ended up moving down to Fredericksburg shortly after, and and Eric and I had stayed in touch. We started to get together for dinners. And we were just talking about the scriptures and being disciples and developed a genuine friendship out of those times. And it was at one of those meals that we just said, you know, you're teaching, I'm teaching. What if we actually did this together? What would it mean for a, a Jewish believer and a Gentile believer to go into groups and share the message of the gospel of the kingdom, ask questions, because I think a lot of people have questions about what what does the restoration of Israel mean to a New Testament believer? What does it mean to, to walk in fellowship and unity? What is Paul talking about in Ephesians 2, for example, when he talks about the one new man and, and the wall of enmity between Jew and Gentile being torn down? And, and so we just felt that it was an idea from God, that actually it's in our relationship and friendship and in giving permission for questions to be asked and to look at the scriptures together that people learn and grow and we listen to each other and that that dynamic begins to unfold the scriptures to us over time and, and helps us on our journey as disciples. And it becomes, and it, and it has been, I would say, counterintuitive. So the, the, the intuitive is that a Jewish guy hangs around with other Jewish people. Right. I mean, that's that was the mm-hmm. that was our logic going into this college ministry in, in California is, hey, you're Jewish. Uh, you can reach the Jewish people at Chico State University. And God says, no, I, I'm, I'm making you know, I'm, I'm confounding the wisdom of this world with the foolish things that, that I'm going to place before you. So, no, you're, you're not going to reach Jewish people. You're going to reach people of the different nations that I'm going to send to you. They're going to reach the Jewish people. And so that, that's, that's the counterintuitive, crazy story that God will weave together. And it, it's not the, the common things that he brings, but it's the opposites, but it, he brings them together as one. Jed, let's talk. You mentioned some terms here, one new man. This is like a, what does that mean? You hear most Christians would hear something like that and wonder what it means. Why don't you describe the focus of your ministry? Sure. The the one new man is is really laid out by Paul in the epistle to the Ephesian church, which is obviously a Gentile church. And he's talking to them about, uh, you know, he talks about in, in chapter two, you Gentiles were once far off. Us Jews, we were close. We were close to God. He'd given us the scriptures and we had a relationship with God. Gentiles were far off. But now through the ministry and work of Jesus Christ, he's now brought you Gentiles who were far off into the family of God. And he goes on to unfold how Jew and Gentile together inheriting the promise of God through 
Jesus, the Messiah. And so joint heirs is really his focus, but he's saying we were once separate, but now we're together, and, and because we're being fused in that faith, by faith in Jesus, we're being fused into one body uh, of believers, whether you're male or female, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, you're, we're one because we all have inherited uh, Christ through faith. Let's talk about some stories. I mean, I was encouraging you guys to, to share. This This all sounds good. It sounds very theological, but <laughs> tell us some stories about how this, this message, you've gone out and interacted with people and how it's impacted lives in some practical, you know, meaningful way. Sure. I remember uh, when I um, first moved, when we first moved to Chico, I was um, I was introduced to a, a pastor. He's, you know, he's about my age. He's a good friend of mine still. And uh, he wanted to understand this connection. He knew there was a connection between the church and Israel, but he, he just did not understand it. So, you know, he asked his district supervisor to help him out, and the guy brings over a 900-page theological textbook, drops it on his desk, and says, here, read this. You'll know everything you want to know. Kenny is a simple guy. You know, he is he's a dear friend, and, and you know, reading that book in English, it was Greek. There was no way that he could process it. And, you know, I showed up in his life shortly after, and we just started meeting for lunch, just getting to know each other, became friends, and just talking. And he would ask questions, and I would tell him things and a- answer questions. And all of a sudden, like, he understood. He began to understand the things that he could not understand intellectually from these textbooks. I think the the key there was relationship. I think that that God intentionally brought us together, and and He even jokingly said, "You know, the Lord didn't give me just a book about the Hebrew people. He brought me a Hebrew guy, a <laughs> Jewish guy, to be my friend and to teach me everything that I need to know about the Jewish people." And it'd be for, same for me if I went to Italy and I read a textbook about Italians. I mean, what would I know about uh, Italians? But if I went to their home and they invited me over for dinner and and you know just through that that personal relationship i would go oh now i understand <laughs> <laughs> so so it's these words we hear over and over relationship getting getting close to someone um being proximate listening to them listening to each other right. jed you same same sort of thing with you sure uh, I'll, I'll relay a story um i had the opportunity to live in israel and i would take teams back after i moved to england for a period and i was leading a team uh in israel of christians and we were going there to pray and to just go to some of the sites and see you know tour and we happened to be in the pools of engedi so we're swimming and this is where you know David penned some of the Psalms. And so we started to actually have a little bit of a worship moment where we kind of huddled over in the corner. And there's a lot of Israelis, a lot of tourists swimming around us. And we just are praying and singing very quietly. But I noticed pretty pretty quickly that there's a hush that falls over the pool. And people are curious and watching us like what we're doing. And I feel a little bit, you know, okay, we're, Lord, what are you doing? And uh, this uh, American, a Jewish American man comes over to me after, after we're done. And he says to me, uh, hey, you're singing our songs. And I said, that's right. And he said, are you, are you a Christian? And I said, well, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I believe he's the Messiah of Israel and for the whole world. And I follow him. And he says, interesting. Are you, do you celebrate Christmas and Easter? And I say, well, I, I really, I honor the birth of, of, of the Lord, but I, I also I celebrate Passover. And when he saw that I celebrated Passover as a Christian, Gentile, his eyes got really wide because that, I could tell he had never encountered that 
Mm-hmm. And we started to talk about how Jesus was the Passover lamb, and in my faith, he's brought us in. The gospel was for Israel and for the nations, and then now we're in there, and we happen to be in. He asked, why are you in Israel? And I said, well, I believe the promises of God for the Jewish people, and and we're praying those promises. And so we have this great conversation, and he opens up, and, and uh, he closes. I'll close the story with what he said to me, because I think it's funny, because we were talking about Passover and Easter, and he says, yeah. I figured Easter was probably some kind of religious holiday that a Jew invented to make money selling chocolate. <laughs> and so we had a good chuckle there at the pools of Engedi in Israel. I noticed that you, you didn't say, I'm a Christian. You said, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Is there a reason for that? Uh, it, it, there is, actually. And um, there's a lot of denominations of Christianity out there. And, and some of them put ideas in people's minds of Catholicism or, or Greek Orthodox or whatever denomination they come from, uh, it, it can influence someone's perception. And so I, I want to keep things as simple and as pure as I possibly can. Um, and I believe that discipleship, you know, I, that's what I believe. And I didn't know where this person, what his experience had been with the church. I didn't know where he was coming from as a, as a Jewish American man, what was in his mind when he, when he thought of Christian. So I wanted to make sure that that I was as clear as possible in my communication of what I mean when I say I'm a Christian. I express a faith in Jesus as the Messiah and follow him. And any follow-up questions he has, I can clarify as I need to from there. We've got about five more minutes, and I have two things I want to touch base on. Uh, first is you, you're going together to a conference in Israel. It's kind of a meet gathering of Arabs and Jews and Christians in a roundtable meeting. Tell us a little bit about that and what you expect to accomplish there. That is a really good question because I, I really don't know what to expect, and I'm actually kind of excited about that because that means that I'm just going to wait and see what the Lord does. What I do know about it is that there are about 100 leaders that have been invited from around the world. Many of them are from Israel. They are Messianic Jewish leaders, and I know they're inviting quite a few Arab Christian leaders and Palestinian Christian leaders that live in Israel as well to come together in a roundtable. And, and Two things. One is it's a roundtable. We are all equal before the Lord. And two, they have intentionally not set an agenda. And the reason is that they want really the Lord to come and make the agenda. I think it's about relationships. I think it's about building relationships, getting to know people that we would, in walks of life, that we would probably not normally walk into or encounter or talk to. And God has put on each of our hearts to come together and just to be in his presence and to get to know each other. I am praying that there are, that there's healing, there's reconciliation that comes out of this. In other words, it's more than just we got to know some people, but that God actually really knits our hearts together as a living example of the kingdom. You know, and you know, you commonly hear the kingdom is now but not yet, meaning that Jesus is not here yet, but we can still actually live according to kingdom principles even now in the earth as one people of God. So we've got a few more minutes. I want you guys to share with us the most important things you'd like to, to share with the listeners. We usually challenge people to offer a, a call to action, but whatever's on your heart, whatever you think is most important for people to take away from this, and why don't you start, Jed? Sure. I, I think that word reconciliation is the word that I, I would want to 
leave in the, in the minds of, and hearts of our listeners is just the gospel is the gospel of reconciliation. The gospel is God reconciling all things to, to himself and us to, to him and us to one another. And that at the end of it all, there's every tribe, every tongue worshiping Jesus as the Lamb of God. And so there's no place for racism, racial disunity, gender disunity. Uh, the gospel is the gospel of peace. And of course, he's he's making peace for us. He's forgiving our personal sins, but we're doing the hard work of wanting to to cross over and tell the good news to other groups of people that actually God has a desire for them to come into the kingdom and be part of the family. And of course, there's a lot of a lot of history and a lot of uh, damage that's been done over the years when it comes to religion. And so, there's a lot of wounds and scars that need to be tenderly cared for. Um, and so reconciliation is something that that's near and dear to eric and eric's heart and mine and and it's with that lens that we try to approach a lot of these topics and in, in terms of this no room for races it's in the body of christ and in, in the christian church as well as how we treat others i mean sure. we're expected to to serve the stranger the foreigner mm-hmm. correct 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 yes and i the only thing i'd like to add to that is that even though we are going to israel uh God has planted us in the Washington, D.C. area, and my heart is to continue to connect, and I know Jed's it's the same, to continue to connect with people in this area that have a heart for the kingdom of God and that have the desire to to come together as one people of God. So I'm saying this, we'd like to get to know you. And so you, you, know, you can uh, check out uh, – you know, I do have a website for House of David Ministries, and you can check out um, – the, you know, you can get in touch with me and or Jed, and you can check out some of the teaching resources that I put on there. But really, mostly, we just want to get to know you. Now, there were a couple things you mentioned on the phone. Uh, you wanted to challenge people to pray for our leaders. Absolutely. And also, um, you talked about offense and division. Can you spend just a little bit of time on that? You know, which kind of warning against that? We are so offense is such a serious thing, a trap that we fall into. It's a it's a really dangerous trap that we fall into. And offense is caused, unfortunately, by one great sin, and that is pride. Pride is really at the very root of, of offense, because if you, if you don't have pride, you're not offended by what people say. But the, f- the mere fact that somebody says something that offends you sh- says that they're really offending your belief in who you think you are uh, and your identity as an individual. And it always goes back to that, the individual. And, and so, to me, offense is really a symptom of pride. And uh, unfortunately, we, we all struggle with, with pride. I mean, it is part of our, our fallen nature. Um, and, you know, without getting too theological, the bottom line here is that humanity has, we have decided to put ourselves in place of God. Uh, we have said we are our own masters of our own destiny. And that is pride. That is the greatest sin. <clears throat> that was what caused humanity to fall away from God. And God is saying, I want to restore this broken relationship, but it, r- it requires one thing. You have to repent, receive the blood of Christ that I, that, that I shed for your sin. And most importantly, you need to die to self. You need to become selfless, and you need to be all about surrendered to the kingdom, to the king. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I appreciate it so much. You can visit Eric's website at thehouseofdavid.org if you want to find more information on what these guys are doing together. This is Ed and Eric and Jed signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.